Not a day goes by that I don't read some nutrition tip or hear about some product for bariatric surgery and say to myself, are you kidding me? This is such nonsense. And then I really get frustrated because you, my community, are likely reading this baloney too and maybe believing it. Well, coming up, bariatric dietitian Isabel joins me to cut through the crap. We're picking some of the worst offenders and we're setting the story straight so you can make smart decisions. Stay right where you are. You're likely to be very surprised. Looking for an easy to swallow multivitamin that also smells good instead of vitamin E? Check out the once a day easy to swallow tablet from ProCare Health with new scent certs. The orange scent inside the bottle makes supplements not only smell better, but taste better too. It's a whole new way to experience your once daily vitamin. Visit ProCareNow.com and use code SUSAN10 to save 10%. Hi, I'm registered dietitian, nutritionist, Dr. Susan Mitchell, ex-radio dietitian turned podcaster. You're listening to the Bariatric Surgery Success Podcast, episode number 156. Tired of all the hype? Tired of the confusion when it comes to nutrition, especially bariatric nutrition? Eat this food. Oh, no, don't eat that food. Switch to keto. Try intermittent fasting. Heck, just reset your pouch. I know what to do. It matters where you get your nutrition information. And when it comes to bariatric surgery, nutrition is very specific. So let's cut through the hype. Let's get the nutrition information you need to know now. Simple strategies that work. I want you to feel well every day. So I created this podcast, Bariatric Surgery Success, just for you. You're in the right place. Share it. Share the podcast with someone else that you feel would benefit. And if you love it, would you write me a review on Apple Podcasts? Thank you. And if you're tired of cravings and night eating, you want to prevent weight regain, be sure and add protein sources that you will actually eat and enjoy. You can check out my freebie and get 10 protein tips that work every day. I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can also find the freebie on my homepage, breakingdownnutrition.com. It's kind of at the bottom of the page, so just scroll down. So joining me today is one of your favorite bariatric dietitians, Isabel. Gail was supposed to be with us, but we had some, gotta love it, digital technical problems, right? <laughs> and we just couldn't get Gail on correctly. So she's very disappointed she's not here, but Isabel and I'll do the best we can without her. But both of them have their fingers on what goes on on the pulse of the most up-to-date information. Isabel Maples, the bariatric coordinator at UVA Health in Haymarket, Virginia. And you can find Isabel's information and Gail's contact information too in the show notes because she'll be back. Hey, Isabel. Hey, we miss you, Gail. Yep, we miss you, Gail. We'll try to do a good job for you. (laughs) You know, one of the things that frustrates me most for our bariatric community is the crap nutrition information on the internet, promising all kinds of miracles and delivering zero. But sometimes when you're reading it, it's hard to discern. How do you tease out what's good information and what's not? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's part of what we all face today. And that's why I think in my Facebook group, I get so many questions about this baloney. And I'm not 
talking about the baloney you eat either, <laughs> mm. but the baloney or the pseudoscience you're constantly fed online. So what you and I are going to do today is we're going to take on at least six current pieces of baloney and <laughs> deliver some science smart information so that you can make smart decisions that are based on fact, not hype. So I want to start with the keto diet because it's still very popular and it is promoted for weight loss surgery. And I have to tell you, I'm not a fan of keto at all as a bariatric lifestyle because it's, it's super high fat and high fat, especially the wrong types of fat are very inflammatory. So if you think of keto compared to a, a bariatric lifestyle of high protein, keto is high fat only moderate in protein and very low in carbs. So in fact, don't miss this. Fat calories make up 70 to 80% of your total day's calories on keto. Do you get that? High fat. I mean, that's a ton, right, Isabel? Mm-hmm. And so it, this fat too, at this point after surgery, can cause fatty diarrhea. So besides being no fun, this diarrhea from the high fat diet of keto prevents you from absorbing nutrients you need, vital nutrients, we call them the fat solubles, A, D, E, and K. And then if you look at the carbs, they're down around 2% up to maybe a total of 10% of total calories for the day. So carbs are very restricted and on keto exclude fruits and vegetables that we want you to have because they're good sources of fiber and vitamins and minerals, both of which your body wants but needs to function properly. So this that's just my beginning of why when somebody says I'm going keto, I'm like, Ooh, that's just opposite of what what will make you successful after bariatric surgery. Well, I agree. And to understand the concern that dietitians have about a keto diet, particularly after weight loss surgery, let's back up a minute and explain to listeners how this diet works. It's designed to force the body to switch fuel sources. Our bodies normally run mostly on glucose, which the body can make from any food, but will especially make from carbohydrate foods, which is why, of course, it's cut out. And But without glucose, our brain's favorite fuel, then you get brain fog. Absolutely. Absolutely on that one. (laughs) Heard that from a few people on the keto diet. But the keto diet, when it's done as it's designed to do, is, again, going to force the body to rely on fat as its major uh, fuel source instead of the glucose. And that switchover, it, it creates a metabolic state we call ketosis. Now, when somebody is in ketosis, the nice thing is there's not very hungry. So who wouldn't want to diet and then also not be hungry? Right. So and I think, why, don't you think that's one of the reasons it stays so popular? Oh, because, of course. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But most diets are going to work by eliminating certain foods or whole groups of foods, which can make them nutritionally incomplete, but they also make it kind of boring. And so eventually you eat less of those foods also because it's not as exciting or some of the foods aren't as tempting. And that is what cuts calories and weight and causes weight loss. But it's critical after 
weight loss surgery to really listen to your, you know, your hunger cues and all that stuff. And anyway, I just don't think that keto diet is the way to go. Yeah. And it sounds like the magic pill to weight loss, but actually the keto diet is not an answer for the bariatric lifestyle. And you, you're probably saying, okay, why not? Bottom line, science fact on this is because a successful bariatric lifestyle has very different nutritional requirements, specifically when it comes to these macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fat. In the bariatric way of eating, protein is by far the most important distinguishing factor in a bariatric eating plan that works and is going to be successful long term. It's what helps you burn calories. It's, and it's the part of muscle mass that, um, if you're, if you're looking at protein, it builds muscle mass. So that is then more muscle more calories being burned. It's your, your engine, your fire engine, so to speak. It's burning, 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 burning. With keto, you're not going to get near the protein rich foods you need of 60 to 90 plus, maybe 120 grams a day. You're going to be much lower than that in taking in all this fat, which is not doing a thing to build muscle mass, not doing a thing to burn calories. So that's really the bottom line on keto. Anything I missed on keto? Well, one of the things that I hear from my patients, particularly, you know, when they've been on keto even before weight loss surgery, is that they will say, yep, I lost a lot of weight on that or a moderate amount of weight. But then as soon as I got off the diet, it all came back even faster, it seemed like, than other diets they had been on. And that kind of guilt feeling is what I really want to eliminate. That's the reason that with weight loss surgery, it it can help you move away from a diet mentality and looking at yourself as the cause or your motivation or your weaknesses as a cause of why you've gained so much weight. Oh, I so agree with that. Yes. And I actually, um, I want to counter keto too while we're at it on a similar and look at intermittent fasting. It's also super popular. So you might be saying now, well, heck, why not just kick keto to the curb since we know it's not the secret sauce (laughs) for weight loss surgery and then just change from keto to intermittent fasting? Well, I think that after weight loss surgery in particular, intermittent fasting is not going to be the answer. And there, before I tell you why, there's a book out called Obes- The Obesity Code, and it promotes a intermittent fasting for weight loss. But when health and nutrition experts have looked at this book and reviewed it for, for scientific accuracy, they rated it only about a third of truth. So that's pretty pitiful. But one of the parts I really do like about the intermittent fasting is what it says is the kitchen is closed from the, at certain times of the day. And I agree that there are times of the day when you shouldn't be eating. I don't want my patients nibbling and grazing all day just because that's a comfortable pattern. Um, in fact, I do quite the opposite. I want them very structured in their meals and snacks. But I like the fact that they the kitchen is closed. But for intermittent, instead of intermittent fasting, what I try to promote is, you know, two to three, maybe four hours between meals and snacks at a time, not 
12, 14, 16 hours at a time that people aren't eating. I don't want my patients skipping meals. And for me, intermittent fasting will set you up for failure, not success after weight loss surgery. Oh, I I agree with that. And just recently, there was a study in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it found that among patients with obesity, a regimen of time-restricted eating, and time-restricted eating is just another fancy term for intermittent fasting. It was not more beneficial when it came to three things, reduction in body weight, body fat, or metabolic risk factor. So why go on something that's going to have you only eaten at certain times a day when it's not benefiting the things you want, which is reduced weight, lower body fat, and getting rid of some of the metabolic health factors? (laughs) Yeah, good point. Well, a major problem I have about fasting for longer than, let's say, 12 hours is that at times, I feel like it can set you up for mental health issues like binge eating, night eating, that out of control feeling about eating. I agree with this very much. Don't miss this. This is a really good point. And if, you know, a lot of times when people do intermittent fasting, what's really popular is to keep it within an eight hour window that you are allowed to eat. And I find that after bariatric surgery, my patients can't get the nutrition they need and or they have to ignore their feelings of fullness to get everything in. They've got to eat more than they need to or their bodies say they can at one time. Right. So why work so hard on learning mindfulness and listening to your body and having all these cues just to turn around and go, whoops, I've got eight hours to eat right now. I've got to stuff it in, try to get all my protein. It just sets you up for this, you know, ways of eating, unhealthy eating habits that we've working so hard to move away from. Yeah, it can. And and especially for certain people, I really see more problem than others. I I agree. All right. So, oh, and one more thing about intermittent fasting that I think is really important. When you have changes in hormones after surgery, including leptin and ghrelin and GLP-1, and you're hearing about these because these are sur- these are hormones that tell you I'm hungry or no, I'm satisfied and can affect uh, you're hearing about them in the new um, obesity medicines. When you have these changes, your timing of meals your portion size, your macro distribution, that means your protein, carbs, and fat, and when you eat them, are so important. It's how you structure this new lifestyle that makes for success. And intermittent fasting is just not helpful for any of these three. So what's the point? Why set yourself back on a forward motion? Enough said on that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to move on because this one is crazy. This is trending on TikTok. Maybe you've heard about it. It's called black castor oil and being promoted to treat hair loss, which you know, after surgery can be a big issue. So I was asked in the Facebook group about using it to grow hair. So if you're multitasking right now, I want you to come back to us because I want you to know the facts on this. Castor oil is most known for its use as an ingredient in motor oil for your car, not your human body. 
Okay, it's been used for centuries temporarily to treat constipation, but today we have so many more effective and safe ways to do this when you're constipated. And if you missed it, go back and hear the one that we three did together just recently on um, how do you overcome the big C, constipation. Yeah, well, from a health standpoint, um, yeah, like you said, the only science at all close to this is that constipation issue. It's certainly not an edible oil. It's not tasty. No. Or I've never tasted <laughs> it, but it doesn't smell very good. It doesn't smell like anything I want to eat. And the type of fatty acid that's in it um, does work to help move the muscles along and, and help you poop. So th- that's the only science I can see. Yeah, it is. That's the only science is to help you poop. But again, there's much easier ways to do so today. And there's not a shred of evidence. So that means no sound science that this oil will grow you any new hair. In fact, using castor oil and in your hair could result in a rare condition called felting. Felting is when your hair becomes so tangled, it has to be cut off. So I want to be very clear on this next bit of information. There is no benefit from putting castor oil in your belly button. And this is what's promoted on TikTok. No benefit from putting castor oil in your belly button, which supposedly goes into the pachote gland. Don't miss this. First of all, there is no evidence to ex- to support the existence of this pachote gland. It's not there that lets you absorb oil through your belly button. This is so total baloney and pseudoscience. In fact, some people are allergic to castor oil and they experience itching, rashes, and swelling. And so none of this is something you need to add to your plate after surgery. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. We'll talk more about hair loss. Don't go anywhere. Bariatric Surgery Success is thrilled to partner with New Hope Girls, women empowering women. They offer a discount to our community. Code TRANSFORM to save 15% and celebrate our shared commitment to transformation. Shop their beautiful bags at newhopegirls.com. Isabel, okay, back to hair loss and new hair growth. We know that castor oil is bull. But you had a patient with a great question about biotin, and this comes up often. Yeah, and biotin comes up as a solution for hair loss that happens that first year after surgery. We hear that all the time. So this patient's endocrinologist told her not to take any biotin because she has Hashimoto's disease. It's an autoimmune disease that can destroy the thyroid gland. And so she came in and said, wow, can I take my bariatric multivitamins? And we told her, yes, you can take those bariatric multivitamins, which, of course, do have biotin in them. But the difference, here's why the patient's endocrinologist was concerned, is that taking too much biotin can interfere with the testing of thyroid function. And that can cause false reports that then can mean that somebody doesn't get on the right amount of medication. So the biotin itself doesn't cause harm in the body, um, but, but indirectly that thyroid function may be be incorrectly measured and then the person's not on the right kind of medication. Absolutely. So how much biotin is too much? 
Well, supplementing biotin with more than 20 milligrams a day seems to be the amount that could interfere with thyroid testing. But that's 30 or 40 times what a person might get in their bariatric multivitamin of biotin, which might be 0.6 milligrams, which would even be twice as much as what is considered a normal amount that patient that people need. Um, so we also get, an, I mean, biotin is not normally a concern for a, a nutrient that we don't get enough of for a number of reasons. One, because it's available in a lot of different foods. And so they add up to plenty of vitamin. I mean, plenty of that particular B vitamin, like sweet potatoes and nuts and um, peanuts and just one vitamin, I mean, one food after another. However, and- your body can actually make biotin from your, your, the bacteria in your digestive system, in your intestines can make biotin. And then the third source, of course, would be a bariatric multivitamin as a way of getting enough. And I love that because what you were saying, yes, we can produce some, our body can produce some on its own, but we want you to be eating things like eggs and nuts and sunflower seeds and salmon, uh, sweet potatoes later on. So all of those things that, again, go back to part of the science smart way of eating for bariatrics will help you with your biotin intake. So it's not going to be a miracle cure. It's more when somebody takes, let's say a hair, skin and nail supplement that might have a lot of biotin in it, that, that really the, the issue could be um, interfering with the Hashimoto's in particular. I agree. So I had another great question from our Facebook group. Here it is. I was told that bariatric surgery and the rapid weight loss that follows will permanently slow my metabolism. And because of this slowed metabolism, this is why even when I eat less calories, I still keep my weight and don't lose it. Is this true? Here is some great news. Your metabolism is not permanently slowed. Let me say that again in case you didn't hear it. Metabolism is not permanently slowed after weight loss surgery. So weight loss, especially rapid loss, can slow the metabolism. This is true. And the body can use fewer calories during the day. However, as you heal and you move forward and you start eating your regular foods and working out again, metabolism is affected by a lot of things like the amount of muscle mass in the body is one big factor. So the metabolism rate can be changed by changing the amount of muscle mass. Well, maintaining muscle mass as you lose weight or even building muscle once your weight stabilizes is definitely going to help you be more successful after surgery. And it affects metabolism because muscle is really active tissue. In fact, I've read that every pound of muscle equals an extra 50 calories that your metabolism is burning a day. And remember, the amount of calories needed a day is very individual and based on lots of different factors, like a surgery type, maybe your body weight before and after surgery, how much muscle you have versus your fat, um, your ability to tolerate various types and amounts of foods, um, any other kind of metabolic issues that you have, your body shape. So it's important to say 
do not compare yourself to others. Thank you. (laughs) That body is not your body. That health is not your health. And other people's genetics are not your genetics. All those things can affect calorie usage each day. Focus on yourself and doing what's right for you and your journey. And that's what makes bariatric eating so specific and not uh, a lifestyle or a candidate for what I call diets, like the keto, intermittent, or any of the others. And, And once you're cleared for exercise, this is the time to add strength training to your activities. If you were doing it before already, then it's time to go back slowly. If you've not done it before, it is the time. And you're thinking, oh, why? Because this type of exercise builds muscle mass. And remember, muscle mass is the active tissue. Well, you're thinking active. What does that mean? Is it moving around? It means it burns calories. It's a furnace. It needs fuel in the form of calories. So if you add in some strength training one or two days a week, you know, start slow. We don't want injuries. You're going to rebuild some of that muscle mass and your metabolism that you thought was just dead is going to perk back up. Uh, So I can't, uh, (laughs) I can't stop talking about workouts with, I've got to mention the current internet darling collagen powder. Do you hear a lot about this, Isabel? We do. Yeah. You can find all types of collagen products, all types And there's always a but, so here's the but, but it does not contain the essential amino acid tryptophan, and it's low in both the amino acid cysteine and methionine. Oh, then what the heck do you care? But you care because it makes it an incomplete protein. It means from a science standpoint, what we look at is it has a lower PDCAA score, so it's not a great choice regardless of the internet hype. So listeners may be thinking about now PDCAA. That <laughs> yep. is alpha, but alpha, alpha soup. Stop. <laughs> but it's a scientific term that stands for protein digestibility corrected amino acid score. In other words, It's a way of measuring the quality and the usability of protein on a scale of zero to 100, with 100 being the highest quality and usability. So there's a couple of technical terms that are that are probably useful to to understand to understand this concept. Um, A a complete protein contains all nine essential amino acids. And those are the building blocks for protein. So in other words, when you get ready to put that protein together in your body, that your body's got all the pieces. But a complete protein is not going to be missing any of those nine essential nutrients uh, or essential amino acids. And the essential amino acid also means that your body can't make it. For some amino acids, it can transfigure it and turn it into what it needs. But not for the essential amino acids. High quality proteins include eggs, milk, yogurt, fish, and chicken, for instance. But it, you know, your body can use other proteins as long as you've got all those pieces put together. So collagen is missing at least one of those amino acids, you know, missing one low in a couple others. And it can add to your total protein intake, but don't rely on, on it 
exclusively in, instead of these higher quality proteins, just because it's the buzz right now. I agree. And you always want to reach for whey or soy or casein, not collagen. The others are you know, complete proteins. They have everything you need. You can get those grams in much easier versus trying to go, well, collagen is missing this, that, and the other. So it's just a trend right now. Save yourself from money. Put it on to other things. Okay. Any last thoughts, Isabel? Any nonsense that really bugs you today <laughs> that you want to cover? Well, one thing I know is that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So if you hear something, the listeners hear something and don't really understand, is this good? I mean, everybody talks about it. It sounds like it's a great thing. Ask Susan about it on the Facebook page, you know, post it on the Facebook page and, and let's talk about it. Absolutely. Thanks, Isabel. I'm so glad you joined me today. Gail, we're looking forward to having you back with us next time. And remember, Isabel and I have thrown a lot of stuff at you, but we are both very big believers that the more you know, the more you understand the science and the why, the better decisions you can make for your future, the better you can spend your heart on money on products that are going to make a difference for your health. Bariatric surgery and the resulting lifestyle is a lifestyle. It's, and it's specific to eating a certain way that will enhance what the surgery that you've had done is all about. It's not a time to try different diets just because they're working for others. So remember, no comparing yourself to others. You are worth it. Bariatric Surgery Success with Dietitian Dr. Susan Mitchell is produced and owned by Practicalories, LLC. All rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host, Dr. Susan Mitchell, or Practicalories, LLC.